There are two questions that uh, everyone should answer, whether it's an individual question you're asking about your own life or whether it's about your business or whether it's about your family or any other things. And the questions are these. Number one, what are you wanting to be known for? What do you want to be known for? When you think about who you are and what you're doing and your character and uh, the kind of influence the, that you have, what do, what do you want to be known for? And, and the, the second question is this, what are you known for? What do you want to be known for and what are you known for? And if uh, for any of us that are listening, there is a significant gap between what we want to be known for and what we are known for, then we have some opportunity to grow. We have some opportunities to, to face the gap. This is what I know. When what we want to be known for is what we are known for, powerful things happen in and through our life or in and through our organizations. Now, we live, I don't think it would be too much of a stretch for you to agree with this, we live in a hypercritical, cynical age, right? And often, what we hear about is what people or organizations are against, as opposed to what they are for. And so my question is, what would you think about becoming a group of people who are known for what we are for? Does that sound like something that would be exciting to you? Is that something of interest to you? Something that we want to be known for. So let me tell you what we're going to do over the next five weeks. We're going to spend some time really focusing on Pleasant Valley. And if you're looking for a church home and you've been wondering, what is this church all about? This is an opportunity for me to talk to you over the next five weeks about five vision priorities that we have that have everything to do about what we want to be known for and what we're going to be pursuing with passion and strategic intentionality over the next five years. So in order to get there, we got to do a little groundwork. So let's start, first of all, with our mission. Our mission is this. We exist to unleash the transforming influence of Jesus. You've heard me say that before. To what end? So that people will know, love, serve, and share Jesus. That's the reason that the church exists. Every New Testament church pretty much has the exact same mission, but we describe it a little bit differently. Jesus said, my church has a mission, and the mission is what? Go. Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to do whatever it is that I have said, and I'm going to be with you. We say it, we exist to unleash the transforming influence of Jesus so people will know, love, serve, and share Jesus. The word unleash is very intentional. We don't want Jesus to be leashed and captivated in the walls of the building so that the only time we talk about Jesus, the only time we celebrate Jesus, the only time we experience Jesus is one hour a week. No, we think Jesus ought to be turned loose, right? 
We need to let him out of the God box, the church building, and turn him loose and let him do what he does best, and that is transform individual lives. Well, where do we do our mission? Where, does it, where is it that we fulfill this particular mission? Well, we, we say it like this. We exist to unleash the transforming influence of Jesus in PV, the Northland, and beyond. And really, this is our take on Jesus' conversation with his disciples. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we say our mission field where Jesus is to be unleashed starts with Pleasant Valley. I say this in membership class. We don't want to export what is not being imported into our own lives. We are to be transformed, transforming individuals. And then we are to allow that transformation to make its way to the Northland and beyond. Now, Christianity gets a bad rap, and a lot of detractors like to say that Christianity is shrinking. And the truth is, Christianity is not shrinking worldwide. It is the largest religious group in the world. 31% of the entire earth's population identify as Christians. 2.2 billion people. And you might be celebrating and go, that is fantastic. But that means there are 69% of the 7.3 billion people that live in the world who have yet to come to realize the joy of having a life transformed by Jesus. Now, how many of you, how many of you uh, are originally from the Northland? Show of hands here, show of hands in the chapel, okay. How many of you have no idea what the Northland is? <laughs> now, the reason I ask that is because when we first moved here from Topeka, and people talked about the Northland, we thought they were talking about someplace north of here. And we didn't know that we lived in the Northland. And so evidently, the Missouri River is a problem for people in the Kansas City metro. <laughs> people who live in the Northland are God's people, and the people south of the river are the, the folks that are, like, desperately far from God. Is that the way y'all define it up here? Amen. I've talked to folks who go, why would I ever want to go south of the river? And I'm going... Really? There's an awful lot of stuff down there. Number one, how about barbecue, right? Yes, you've got to go south. You don't find it up here. We're hopeful. We're hopeful. We're hopeful. But listen, I should slow, simmer myself down. I get, I get wound up. So the Northland is everything north of the river. That's Clay and Platte County. Did you know that about 58% of the people who live north of the river do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That equates to about 211,000 people. Let that sink in. Within about a 15 to 20 minute driving distance from this building, there are around 211,000 people who are facing a Christless eternity and who do not know the joy of what it's like to live with God in this life. So, the church exists to glorify God by 
being on mission and fulfilling the mission of Jesus. And so in order for us to do that, we're painting a picture about what we want to be known for. And so one of our vision priorities is this, and this is what I want to talk about in the time I have left. We envision PV being known as the church that lives to bless others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the rest of my message is incredibly practical, and this is what I believe is true. This is something every one of us can do, whether or not you are a child or whether or not you are a senior adult or any place in between. This is something that we can do. So what does it mean, and how do we become a kind of people that are known to live lives that bless other people? So if you're taking notes, here is the first action step. We adopt a blessed perspective. It's all about what is your perspective? How do you see yourself living in the world that God has created you and me to live in? I shared this a number of years ago, but I want to come back to it again because I'm quite certain that you have forgotten about it because I forgot that I actually shared this several years ago. And so... There was a doctoral dissertation. How many of you just love reading doctoral dissertations? No one does, right? Maybe just a few folks love doing that. This one doctoral dissertation's thesis had everything to do with blessers versus converters. And basically, there was this study done of a couple of mission organizations that sent people to, the Thailand, uh, to Thailand to do mission work. The first team was the converter team. And their sole purpose was to show up and to seek to evangelize and convert as many people as they could to following Jesus. The other team was known as the blesser team. Their intention was simply to be the presence of God in the community and to bring about good through what they did and who they were. They would say something like this, I am just here to bless whoever comes my way. I just want to be a blessing to the people in my community. And so they followed this over several years, and here is what they discovered. First, they discovered that the blessers had a greater positive social impact than the converters. They, they garnered a greater rec, uh, reputation in the community for doing good and bringing about social betterment. But the mind-boggling truth, second of all, result of the study was this. The blessers saw 50 times more people come to faith in Jesus than the converters. To me, that's fascinating. They understood the principle that there is this old biblical mandate, an ancient biblical mandate that God has always had a people and the purpose of his people in the world is that we be a blessing to everyone else so that they would see how great and wonderful and generous God is. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. There was a man that God chose to be his friend. His name was Abram, and he said, Abram, I'm going to cause your life to flourish in all areas. This is all I want you to do is I want you to follow me. I want you to put your faith in me. And God told Abram this. 
I'm going to give you this gift, but this gift isn't for you alone. Look at, look at this ancient mandate to bless. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you fast forward thousands of years, you discover that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abram because Jesus' earthly parents can trace their family tree all the way back to Abram. And it was through Jesus Christ that all of the nations have been blessed. God has always had a people that he has set apart, and he said, I want to use you and all the blessings I'm going to pour into your life in order that you might bless other people. So, if we adopt a blessing perspective and we believe that Jesus lived a life of blessing if we want to bless others, then the second action is we have to follow Jesus' example. We follow the example of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment that God was going to bless the nations. He's come to bless us. He lived a life of blessing as he walked on this earth. Luke was a historian. He was a doctor. He was a follower of Jesus. He did a careful treatise biography on the life of Jesus called Luke and then the life of the church called the Acts of the Apostles. He captured a powerful story that demonstrates the example of Jesus and how Jesus blessed a man who back in Jesus' day, nobody would ever picked out that God would ever care to bless. You can find it in Luke uh, chapter 19, familiar story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Jericho was not his intended stop. He was passing through Jericho to get to his ultimate destination of Jerusalem. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was vertically challenged. He was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And since, since he was about to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he, Jesus, looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with sinful, a sinful man. But Jesus stood there and said, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Lord, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, stops and helps a man find his way back to God. 
Zacchaeus amassed an awful lot of wealth taking money from people as a tax collector. You've heard it said that money talks. Money shouts to a tax collector. Money shouts and talks so loudly they, that it overcomes honesty, it overcomes integrity, it overcomes even thinking about other individuals' sense of well-being. They are all consumed with graft and greed. A tax collector. The voice got louder than living a righteous life. It got louder than caring for individuals. Zacchaeus was not respected. Zacchaeus was not loved by his own people because of his blatant disregard for the well-being of anyone else, all for the sake of wealth. Jesus had some knowledge about tax collectors, if you remember. He Engaged with a conversation with a man by the name of Levi, who was a tax collector who began to follow Jesus. So, so Jesus knew about tax collectors. He knew about the world they lived in. He knew what it was that they were looking for. He knew the loneliness that they experienced. He knew how they had been ostracized. He knew how they had given themselves over to greed. So Zacchaeus evidently has heard about Jesus. There's no indication that there's ever been a meeting of these two ever before, but his interest was piqued in the person of Jesus Christ, and so he does whatever he could to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but do you know the point of the story is not that Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him, and Jesus found him. Jesus found this man who was interested and wanted a glimpse of him, and Jesus came and absolutely radically transformed his life because what did Jesus say? I have come to seek and to save the lost, and Zacchaeus was lost. What does it mean to be lost? Well, when you know when you are lost, but you don't, usually know it until you're lost, right? You know when you're lost, but you don't know it until you're lost. Remember back in the days before GPS? Remember back in the old days when you, you didn't have a phone, you didn't have GPS, and you just, you know, you were a man and you trusted your internal senses? And you didn't listen to anybody else because I, I, I've got a great sense of direction. And you are going where you think is it is that you're supposed to go and then you take a wrong turn and it doesn't dawn until you until sometime later that you have no idea where you are. Now you didn't start off on your journey uncertain. You started off with confidence, but because you don't know where you are, it's hard to know what direction to take. Lostness disorients you. And what is true physically is certainly true spiritually. The Bible lets us know that every human being apart from faith in Jesus Christ is lost. We are completely disoriented in terms of what does it mean to know God and live for God. We can't find our way out of our lostness in the condition that we're in. We can't find our way back to God. And so what does God do? God sends us. Jesus, Jesus delivers us from our lostness. He is the way out. He is the only way to God. And this Jesus is looking for you today. Some of you need to hear that. 
you think that you're searching for him, but more importantly, Jesus is looking for you. And he's been, he's been seeking you all of your life because Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Once Zacchaeus got found, evidence that he allowed Jesus to transform his life was the radical changes that he made. Here was a man who only heard money talk, but now was willing to say, I'm not going to allow myself to be consumed by money. And he gave away a good portion of what he had earned and what he had confiscated and what he had stolen. He wanted to allow his life to be a blessing to others. Jesus, he says, Jesus, listen, I'm willing to give away to the poor. If I've extorted anybody, I'm willing to pay so much more than what is probably even needed. Once you have been found by Jesus, once you have acknowledged your lostness, once you've been found by Jesus, and once you've experienced the joy like Zacchaeus was experiencing when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, he joyfully went down. Once you have received Jesus into your life, you want to be a blessing to other people. Now, earlier I shared this. There are 211,000 people estimated within our driving distance from here that do not know Jesus. And you can be overwhelmed with that. You go, I want to be a blessing. I want to adopt a lifestyle of blessing. I want to follow Jesus' example. But what do I do in order to be a blessing when there are so many people around me who are lost? This is what you do. Third action point, you identify your one. You just identify your one person. Let me give you an example. Andrew was one of the first followers of Jesus. And immediately after he discovered who Jesus was, Andrew had his one that he wanted to make sure experienced the blessing of the person of Jesus Christ. He was the one that he wanted to bless as well. Look at what it says here in John 1, 40 through 42. Andrew... Simon's Peter's brother, Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who had heard John the baptizer and followed him. He, uh, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John, which you'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So, the story goes like this. Andrew, who had been following John the baptizer, John the baptizer said, there's one coming after me that I've been preparing the way for. I've baptized you with water. He's going to baptize you with the fire and the presence of the living God. And John pointed people to Jesus. And Andrew discovered who Jesus was. And the first person that he goes to is a family member and says, I want you to discover the blessing that I have experienced in the person of Jesus. So practically speaking, how does a person go about identifying their one? You don't have to be responsible for 211,000 people, just one person. How do you identify them? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever considered your circle of influence? Every one of us has a circle of influence, people that we engage with day in, day out, week in and week out. And so if you were to think about this and you were to simply say, who in my family needs to know Jesus Christ? Who 
loves your family more than you do, right? What about a close friend? Who do you want to tell news to, whether it's good or bad? Do you have somebody in your life that you go, here's a friend, this person doesn't know Jesus, but I talk to this person, this is the first person that I, that I engage with. What about a neighbor who lives right next door to you? I have gone to blesseveryhome.com, I believe, and I have typed in my address, encourage you to do it, bless every home. You can type in your address and it's going to show you in your neighborhood all of the different people who live there. And then you can determine who are your neighbors who know Jesus. So this is what I know. God, we believe, put us in our neighborhood not just for the home that is there, but for the people that live around us. And so we know Michael and Whitney and the girls know Jesus, and they come to our church we know that Pete and Marcia know Jesus because they're probably watching right now. We know Corey and Cindy. We have invited them to come to Easter, and they came to an Easter service. We know Ryan and Krista and Brennan, and we've invited them to come, and they have come to our church as well. They're followers of Jesus. We know Edis and Munavira. They live right next to us, and so these are individuals that I am personally wanting to care for and want to see them experience the love and faith, of Jesus, uh, faith in Jesus. So who is it that you, your neighbors, what about coworkers who works across from you? Who do you, who do you Zoom with? What about a cashier or somebody that serves you at a restaurant? What about a classmate? What about a teammate? What about an online friend? What about a fellow parent where your children hang out? What about a workout buddy? Here's the deal. There are people all around us who do not know Christ, that Jesus has placed us in their presence in order that we might be a blessing to them. And so what do, what do you and I need to know about people in our sphere of influence? You still with me? You still, you still with me? Okay, this is really important, what I'm getting ready to share with you, because what some of us do, we automatically think, hey, I am not an evangelist, okay? I'm not Billy Graham either, but I am a follower of Jesus, and Jesus has placed me in the world that I live in. And you may think that the people in your sphere of influence are just hardened and they have no desire whatsoever to hear about spiritual matters. So let me refute that with some statistics. So this is what we need to know about our one. Gallup reveals that 87% of Americans believe in God. Now, don't check out and go, yeah, but they don't know my neighbor, and so don't go there. Just listen to this. This is self-identifying people in our country said, 87% said we believe in God. Think about just 10 people in your sphere of influence right now. Eight out of them, eight out of the 10, have a belief in God. Now, I'm not suggesting that they're religious. I'm not suggesting they are churchgoers. They're probably not. I'm not suggesting that they believe in the one true God and they have made a commitment of their life to Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is this. Eight out of 10 people around us have a belief system and believe in some kind of God we're the ones that get to point them to the one true God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. More than one in four Christians 
Non-Christians say they're curious about Christianity and what it means for their lives. One in four curious about Christianity and what it means for their life. And if you present this question to young adults, 36% of young adults in their 20s and 30s say, yeah, I'm interested in Christianity and, and what it could mean for my life. Not only that, somewhere between one-third and one-fourth of people in our circle of influence, one-third, one-fourth of them are currently searching and interested to learn about Jesus. And here's the kicker. 79% of unchurched people agreed with this statement. I don't mind talking to a friend about their faith if they really value it. 79% of the people who are non-followers of Jesus are interested in talking about faith, our faith, if we really value it. But this is what they want from us. Barna Research said that the unchurched are just looking for three things for us, from us. Number one, they want to know, will we listen without judgment? Will we listen to them? One of the purest acts of love is to listen to another person. They want to know, will you absorb our questions and stories, not so that you can come to a verdict about us, but so that we can process our feelings and our experiences in relationship. The sad news is two-thirds of the people surveyed said they have nobody who would listen to them without judgment, an indictment on us who claim to be followers of Jesus, who was a great listener. Second thing that they're looking for from us is they want to know if we will allow them to draw their own spiritual conclusions. We'll listen to them, but we'll allow them to draw their own conclusions. Lost people are not projects, they're people. And what they want to know is, can we dialogue with them and not force them to come to the same conclusion we did, just present to them and allow them to make a decision? And third, they want to know, do you have any confidence in what you're sharing from your perspective? Are you confident about it? They want to know our stories and our experiences, but they want to know, is our faith real? Is it genuine? Does it come from a place of conviction or are we just like parroting something that we've heard but we've not yet absorbed? So all that being said, David and John Ferguson of Christian Community Church in Naperville, Illinois, did a lot of research and they came up with a particular strategy. We've adopted this strategy. I'm going to go over it pretty quickly and it goes like this. How do you go about blessing your neighbor? How can you bless your one? And you've heard me talk about this, and I'm going to talk about it again. And we'll probably keep talking about it again and again and again and again and again until we see the 211,000 uh, get smaller because more folks are coming to faith in Jesus. So here we go. It begins with the B. How do you live a blessed lifestyle? You just begin with prayer. 
It just means this. I will pray for my one. Jesus started his ministry. His ministry was fueled by his ongoing relationship with God through prayer. Prayer is how I discover my one, and prayer is how I will go about doing the mission of Jesus. Begin with prayer. Second of all, listen. I'm going to listen. I'll listen to the one that God has put in my life. I will give them dignity. My listening will be a gracious expression of love. We'll eat together. I'll eat with my one. Jesus consistently ate with people that were called sinners. He shared a meal with them. Eating with others is how I move my relationship from being an acquaintance to a friend. There's something about breaking, a, breaking bread with a person that causes us to get connected to them. Serve. I will serve my one. It's a tangible way that I'm going to demonstrate in some way that I care for the one person that's in my life that I'd love to see come to faith in Christ, and then I will share. I will share my story. I will share my story of how my life has intersected with the story of God and how that is going about changing me. But this is something that you need to know. You can practice all of this, but you can't convert anybody because that's not your job. Your job is not to convert anybody. Because that is outside of your pay grade and mine. It's not my job to convert anybody as well, although it took me a long time to figure that out. I often felt like a failure because through my witnessing, I wasn't converting more people until I realized that is not my job. Somebody else already has the job and it's not you. So this is how we live a lifestyle of blessing. We depend on the Holy Spirit's power and we relieve the results to God. You depend on the Holy Spirit's power and then you leave the results to God. Jesus, after his death and resurrection, spent about 40 days with his followers, convincing them that he was alive, eating with them, teaching them, encouraging them. And before he ascended back to heaven, he let them know that they needed to make sure that they were dependent upon the power of the Spirit. He said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and... Or the result will be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus made it pretty clear in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job who draws people to Christ. Now, he does that through our blessed lifestyle, but he is the one that ultimately helps people to make that decision. My brother-in-law, Daryl, and my brother, Mitchell, didn't convert me. They just blessed my life and presented to me the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, and I eventually did. So the pressure is off you to convert. The privilege upon us is to simply relax and join Jesus in the work that he is doing and allow the Spirit of God to use us. So let me bring all of this to a close. Here it is. First and most importantly, I'm going to ask you this question. Have you been found by Jesus? 
Has there been a a point in time in your life that you have stopped running from him, you've stopped pursuing your own God with a little g, you've turned and you've been caught by the love of God and you've begun to live for the one true living God? And if not, why not today? All you have to do is stop running and turn around and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm willing to turn from the life that I have been living, and I'm willing to allow you to captivate my life. Jesus, I admit my sin. I believe that you are the way to God. I'm calling on you right here and right now. If you're willing to do that right here and right now, the Bible says you will be ushered into a relationship with God beginning right here and now. And if you've done so, you want to do so. Get online and tell our host, tell the folks in the chapel, come back here at the end, at the back of the worship center and tell us and we'll help you take your next step. And then second of all, if you have been found by Jesus, I'm just going to ask you today, will you make a commitment to practice the blessed lifestyle? That's all. That's all I'm asking us to do. All I'm asking is, would we be willing to do this? Will will we adopt this blessing perspective? Will we follow the example of Jesus? Will we identify our one? Will we bless them? Will we begin to pray for them and listen to them and eat with them and serve them and share the good news of Jesus with them and depend on the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do? That's all I'm asking us to do. And if we are willing to do that, If we're just willing to do that, there are people in our life who will come to faith in Jesus Christ because they have seen in us genuinely individuals who go, listen, it's not about converting you, it's about blessing you and pointing you to the one who ultimately is what you have been looking for all of your life. Let's pray. God, there are people that all of us have in our lives who blessed us who prayed for us, who listened to us, who shared meals with us, who served us, who who shared the story of how Jesus changed their life. And we just want to join them in doing that work. And so, God, my prayer today is that you would help us to get really clear on who that one is in our life, and we would just begin to allow our hearts to be softened and broken for them And to say, Jesus, use me in such a way that uh, this person could experience all that I am experiencing in fellowship with you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And we all said together. I pray that you enjoy the message today. Our time together goes by so fast. Do us a favor and hop on over to pleasantvalley.org slash connect and let us know how we can walk alongside you, how we can serve you, and how we can pray for you. Thanks for joining us. See you soon.